We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Big Blue Banter Podcast, and we're here to break down game film on the New York Giants and meet that game film with analytics and the eye test. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm your co-host. I'm joined, as always, by Nick Turchin. And today, we're going to be breaking down days two and three of the NFL draft of the New York Giants. We're going to take a look back on the draft as an overall scope, and as usual, we're going to get to your questions. So let's jump right in with the Giants' first pick on day two, And yes, the Giants hung with that pick, number 95 overall. They acquired via the Cleveland Browns, the trade of Odell Beckham Jr. Many people thought the Giants would try to trade up on day two. There was a lot of discussion about potentially trading up into the third round, earlier in the third round, uh, by fans. It never came to fruition. Dave Gettleman, after the draft class, said at times they considered trading up from that number 95 overall pick. But at least according to Gettleman, it was for the player that they ended up drafting, and that's O'Shane Eximenez. And I don't know exactly how to pronounce his last name yet. It's either Eximenez, Eximenez. We'll find out. The Giants call him the X-Man. That's his nickname. So I'm going to go with that for this podcast until I get a better pronunciation of his name. But when they were sitting on the board at number 95 overall, I could see them going in either of two directions, Nick. I did think that this was one of the spots where they would be meeting need with value, and that didn't happen throughout the entire draft class, and we'll get to that later, where the Giants did prioritize value over need in a lot of spots. But in this spot, I knew that they would have an opportunity to match need with value, and the two biggest needs at the time were edge rusher and offensive tackle. Just 10 picks after edge, Jerrylyn Ferguson, who the Giants brought in for multiple, uh, one private visit, multiple visits throughout the process, came off the board at number 85. And then when the Giants picked his Imanez or the X-Men, there were still offensive tackles, Yadni Kajus, who I like, at West Virginia, and Bobby Evans, who I really like personally, at Oklahoma. But they grabbed the X-Men anyway. So, Nick, what did you see on film from X-Men 
uh, when you broke him down and how can he help the Giants in year one and then moving forward? Yeah, the X-Man, he's, uh, he's an interesting guy to watch at ODU, only a 10-year-old football program there, a young, uh, a young program down in, uh, in, in Norfolk. He's 6'3", 253, so right away the measurables guys are going to see that he's kind of in between, between the as a defensive end or as the tr old-school traditional outside linebacker. Um, he's solid versus the run, sets a pretty solid edge. Uh, basically with good use of hands that's really one of his best traits is his, he's got pretty violent hands pretty consistently uh he played mostly um six tech and wider uh down there and they rarely varied the front so he was always coming from the outside and always always exclusively two from the left side um and uh and taking on the right tackle so on the most quarterbacks front side uh and just in in, in general he's i think the giants picked it took a pick here a little bit more based on production potential versus like perfect perfect scheme fit per se because he's a good power rusher he's a good disruptor of the pocket um he's pretty athletic he can make he can, he can get to pass deflections he's pretty long he's um plays long although i don't believe his measurables are super long there um and what's interesting though is he wasn't asked to drop back into coverage a whole lot and they didn't vary their coverages but he has the athleticism this gets into the product the, the projection game his body movement skills certainly say that he could do that to, in, in his own capacity in terms of dropping off, which I think is just good enough. It checks that box enough, but he's not like an animal, like a Josh Allen who is spending 50% of his snaps dropping back. So kind of an interesting, you know, he's, he's much closer to a 4-3 traditional defensive end than you would than you would think initially, maybe just by looking at his size. Um, I think that he'll be able to jump in right away on sub package uh, on, 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 uh, on third or sub back, which is most downs now, but just on the downs and passing downs, I think against the, you know, the Giants are going to run a two line D line rotation. I think they're going to have Martin Moore uh, in there on, uh, on, on running downs uh, just because he's going to be a rookie. He's, he's a little undersized where he is undersized. He's on his legs. His legs are a little skinny. And when he's asked to kind of play in the phone booth, he, um, you know, his lower body strength definitely needs to improve with, with the weight room. Uh, I think it's with an NFL room. I think he's a really good pick. Um, I think overall, he gives you just enough of the athleticism that you need, but at the same time, he his power rushing element will allow him to collapse pockets and will allow him to actually disrupt the quick game, and that is a big theme in this draft. Uh, speed rushers and guys that get to the outside and can beat guys you know, who are taking five- and seven-step drops, and then guys like, I would say, the X-Man, who kind of get there a little quicker. Maybe it's a little uglier, maybe it's a little messier, but he gets there. Yeah, and it's really interesting a lot of things you said there, Nick, because getting disrupting that quick game, it kind of seems like a theme for the Giants throughout most of their draft picks here. Even Dexter Lawrence, a guy who they think can push the pocket and disrupt the quick game in ways, in different ways that he may have not shown all the time on tape. As far as the X-Men goes, Nick, obviously it was in a it was in a lower conference of play at Old Dominion, but I mean, here's a guy who was super productive at the collegiate level. In 2018 alone, 12 sacks, 18 and a half tackles for loss, 33 sacks in career sacks and 43 starts. But, you know, I always like to look beyond the sacks, Nick. I'm a big believer that quarterback pressures are a much better indicator uh, than sacks. And from that standpoint, according to Pro Football Focus, at least, he had a ridiculously high 23.5% pass rush win rate uh, per, their, per their metrics, and that was last season. Here's, he had 55 quarterback pressures, hurries, hats, hurries, hits, and sacks combined in one season last year in 2018. So, you know, this is somebody who I believe, just like you do, can impact the game 
as a situational pass rusher on obvious passing downs. Now you talk about sub package. And I think, like you said, there'll be different sub packages for different players because obviously as you know, we've talked about here on the podcast, Nick, plenty of times. And as most people know who follow along for this podcast, uh, based on kind of the, the demographic that listens to this sub package is basically base package now in the NFL. So, you know, there will be more situations, different kinds of sub packages that he may not be in on right away, the X-Man, but I think he's just the exact kind of guy you're looking for to give you that quick bolster in your pass rush game. And I really like what you said about his ability to win early. And that's something the Giants mentioned. You know, they mentioned not only the hand usage, but that he has counter move, uh, counter moves, and that's big for a rookie who, you know, may otherwise struggle. But, you know, one thing to keep an eye on that Nick mentions that I'm keeping an eye on at least is what kind of you know, position the Giants will be in, I guess I would say, when he's on the field from a run defense standpoint. Um, like you said, he doesn't always win in phone boost, has kind of uh, skinnier legs. And we'll see if that's something that teams can pick on because that would be one way that I think I would, you know, I wouldn't say he'll struggle to get on the field, but it could be something that kind of gives the Giants pause playing him more snaps than not and, you know, him emerging in, in a bigger role. I see somewhere along the lines of the role Lorenzo Carter had last season, Nick, uh, situational pass rusher or somebody who plays a little more towards the end of the season, but time will tell. And I think they did a good job with that pick as well. Moving on to the next pick, um, we're talking about Julian Love, their fourth round draft pick. First pick of day three, still a lot of talent on the board at the time they took him. So it shows you how much they liked him. And not only a lot of talent, Nick, but a lot of talent at positions they hadn't already addressed. So that shows you how much they like him. Um, it's widely been discussed as their best value pick of this draft, Nick. I mean, he was top 50 on Josh Norris's big board. NBC Sports guy I really like, Roto World. PFF had him in that same range, and then he earned a second-round grade from Lance Zerline, the NFL.com scout. I'm saying to you, Nick, should we believe the hype on Love after you took a look at him, or where should we stand here? Yeah, I done a pretty, I did a pretty good deep dive on the, <laughs> the Notre Dame pass defense from 2016. I didn't realize they had like three meters, and particularly Love's and been in a lot of different systems and. In, uh, in 17, they're mostly a quarter system where he played a lot of off coverage, and most and most recently with in 2018 with Clark Lee, he was they were kind of he was he was used more more frequently all over the place. Um, and actually, he played a little bit of he played a little bit inside. He played press man. He played press bail. Uh, in all of these in all of these quote unquote systems, playing to the boundary. So he's playing to the short side of the field. And usually that means that that corner can match up in man better or best against the lone X wide receiver, usually the guy on the other side of the field who can win in man uh, the best. Um, that usually doesn't happen in the NFL, obviously because of the hashes, but that's just something to kind of keep in mind. Uh, I think he fell for reasons that guys are talking about, you know, just limitations from speed as well as, uh, as overall, I would say play strength too, because he is sub 200 pounds. And he is 5'11. So the length issue is kind of, is basically going to be a limitation against taller, against, against longer receivers. Uh, uh, but um, definitely, he's like, he's like those guys, he's one of those guys that not one trait stands out a lot about him, but he kind of everything. Um, the one area of weakness that I have, or let's start with what he can do, uh, he's, he's very competitive at the catch point. He's a very competitive guy in general. Uh, frequently, he can respond very well with good tackle. When he's asked to, if it goes by and he's not asked to make a play, he did miss some tackles. Uh, and that's, I think, another reason why he may have fallen because if there's a little bit of inconsistency in his game there, despite being a two and a half year starter. Um, but when he is asked to tackle a lot, like in the USC game, he's like really good. And so, streak there, 
Um, a lot of guys were asking or kind of looking like, hey, is he going to bump down in the slot because of that jackknife-like ability? I don't really see – the problem with the slot and playing nickel corner for the Giants is that the way Betcher does it, this is what Grant Haley played last year, and this nickelback position always plays to the – play to the wide side of the field so immediately you'd be putting a, a rookie in a position where he, he he really didn't play a whole lot last year when he played in, in to the field when he had nickelback position he blitzed and to be honest he blitzed pretty well we'll get to that in a second um so i don't really see like an immediate like hey he'll compete for the slot corner position i actually don't think that maybe against some speedier wide receivers he may but i do see a position for him in sub package on passing downs where if you have a starter like sam beal and you Beal's length against an inside slot receiver with length, they'll bump Beal inside and put him outside. Um, teams actually do that a fair amount of the league, but people don't kind of notice that, that the outside corner can actually move in. Um, so that's where I, I think he can. I think he compete for that for that type of role right away. I think longer term, I think you see some traits that are applicable to the safety position, um, and it gets into a deeper conversation with how, how Betcher and the Giants view the safety position, which is not – traditionally how other teams view the safety position um, where he right now in terms of development he's a little close to Curtis Riley in terms of his ability to play and pedal and to plant and drive like Riley wasn't great he's not that great doing it either but I think the Giants value other parts of his game like his ability to blitz which he looks like a natural blitzer on on the very few times that he's asked to do it he's got active hands he, he drives the quarterback well I think that's what the Giants are targeting in terms of the way of where they would see him longer term is just that guy that they can have on the line of scrimmage that can play in space just enough, but he can, he can be that third down wild card where, Hey, he could be a corner. He could be down on the line of scrimmage and he can maybe play off. Um, so I see it. I like the pick overall I'm a little, I'm not, I'm not as, like I said, I'm not as jacked up on any of his individual traits, but longer term, I think he's, he's going to be a good study to see, to see how it goes. Yeah, and it's really interesting, Nick, when you mentioned the potential fit long-term at safety because that's something that general manager Dave Gettleman mentioned uh, in an interview with SiriusXM earlier this week. So it's something to keep an eye on. And I really like what Daniel Jeremiah said, and he compared him to Desmond King, uh, Los Angeles Chargers cornerback. Here's a, here's a defensive back who slipped in the draft, I think, all the way to round five, in large part just due to the metrics. Um, and, you know, the Giants have made it clear that they're going to stress and, and moving forward, they're going to really rely on on-field production more and character and you know everything I've read about love from a character standpoint is this guy's going to add a really really good presence to the Giants locker room on the defensive side of the ball and whether that comes at the nickel position or not um, I know that's where we where we you know originally people thought that was kind of a lot for him um, but now that people are kind of backing off that now I think either way he's going to find a role on this defense one way or another he's going to be a big part of this defense and it's a pick I really like Nick um, but moving forward Obviously, you know, Nick is one of the hardest workers in this business when it comes to the Giants, in my opinion, because I've tried to look through film myself and I've done a lot on these quarterbacks and I know how much time it can take. And he puts even more effort into it than anyone I know uh, in this regard. So obviously he didn't get a chance to get to every single day three draft pick. We're still going to touch on every single one of them. And I wanted to get your thoughts just from your initial. And I know you told me off there you want to do a little bit more work on pretty much all of the remaining picks that we'll go over, except with the exception of Darius Layton, who we'll obviously touch on. But going in order of the draft picks, I do want to still touch on all of them. So from what you've seen so far, Nick, what do you think of Ryan Connolly, the linebacker they drafted out of Wisconsin? Yeah, Connolly is a uh, – he's an interesting guy. Um, you know, I, I initially I initially looked at him and said, hey, he's got to be one of those guys that can cover as an inside player. 
Um, and, you know, as that kind of for the potential money backer role, and he'll be a special teamer, which I definitely think he will be in this, in this, uh, in this defense, in this defense, or in this special teams unit. But overall, he's actually more of a kind of a strong side kind or a traditional, more of a traditional linebacker playing downhill. A buddy of mine, actually, in the scouting academy, gave me some quick notes because, like I said, I haven't really got a chance to, to study, to, to study that, what that in depth, but, um, you know, my, my buddy really liked the, his FBI and his ability to diagnose things quickly within the uh, within basically within the run game. Um, he's got a good first step. Uh, he can shoot gaps pretty well. So you're talking about you know you're basically leaning towards a guy that can move on the strong side and can maybe play on early downs. Uh, doesn't have tremendous short area bursts. He lacks power at the point of attack to take on blockers. But you know that's kind of like every other Giants linebacker to be honest. Um, the lateral mobility is okay. It's not, you know, it's not a great sideline to sideline uh, type guy, and he's not really like one of those X safeties that's going to be there. So my my initial take as a, as I'm kind of going in, I don't like to take too much input from someone else uh, before you go into study, but uh, that's why I kind of backburned him a little bit. Is that he sounded honestly um, a little bit more like Nate Stupar uh, than than a money backer, and that, that doesn't mean that that's bad because what's cool about that is the Giants are absolutely prioritizing special teams and that they showed the numbers last year. And I think it's a big part of what they want to do going forward. So if you're going to take a pick in the fifth round for a guy like that, I like it. Uh, you know, and if he can work a few snaps in as a backup and he's going to be potentially as an early down guy, I think all the better. But, you know, I think that the more you go out in these picks and you kind of go out the skill on this more towards the skill side, you're just, you're going to be kind of wasting your pick this is to me more of like a potential single and where you you, you kind of understand who he is and he, and he seems like a pretty moderate floor guy and you have good you can wrap your head around that pretty easily yeah it's interesting nick because obviously as most of you know listen to this podcast i'm a i went to wisconsin that was where i graduated from uh and obviously i'm a huge wisconsin badger fan and when the pick was made my dad texted me why not van ginkle because i mean when you watch wisconsin defense van ginkle definitely flashed uh, and he was drafted, I believe, a few picks later, maybe one round later. I, I think he was also drafted in the fifth round, but by another team. And he flashed a little bit more than Connolly. But, you know, when I look back on this draft class, and I've started to read a little bit more about Connolly, because, listen, when I watch Wisconsin Badgers, it's not like when I'm watching the New York Giants. I'm not looking for the same things at all. I'm not focusing on the same things. I don't have time each week to dive into reading about each game recap and each player. And I don't have you know, the big blue banter podcast for Wisconsin to listen to the film breakdown of those guys. So it's really not the same. And I don't have the same kind of insight, but I did think that Austin Gale of pro football focus did a really, really interesting piece on Connolly, who, by the way, Nick had much better kind of testing times than you would think, in my opinion, sure. The four, six, six, 40 yard dash isn't anything crazy, but he did have a really, really, really impressive numbers in the, in this, in the drills that I really focus on myself, the three cone and the short shuttle um, and the 10 yard. And, and when it comes to the 10 yard split, and this is actually the latter of which um, Austin did Austin Gale, obviously pro football folks did a really excellent job breaking down. Um, so first of all, some interesting notes and obviously, you know, everybody take, take this with how they will when it comes to pro football focus grades. I know some people don't agree with them. Some people like them. Whatever it is, I'm going to throw them out there anyway. I do believe they have some value, some interesting value. And for, from from Pro Football Focus's Austin Gale, Connolly had a top 15 pass rushing grade uh, among linebackers, and he actually finished with a better overall grade, according to them at least, uh, than than Devin Bush. Which obviously, you know, it is what it is. But he had a 1.54 second 10 yard split, and that was actually the third best 10 yard split, Nick, 
of any off-ball linebacker since 2010 NFL Combine. So that to me is really interesting. And that's really what Austin kind of evaluated and really pinpointed in his evaluation. For, for, for them, they call it VHS, and that's just what they refer to as vision head start. And basically the idea of what of why they like Conley so much is that he has he has really good uh, football instincts and he trusts his instincts and he goes with the play. And he says it shows up with that 10-yard split. You know, it shows up on film as well and just with his aggression and kind of burst to, to, to the tackle point. And I think Conley's an interesting prospect for that reason. But I also think he's an interesting prospect because of kind of his journey, Nick. He went from an undrafted, or I'm sorry, an unrecruited, you know, walk-on player, and now all the way to all honorable me- Big Ten mention last season. Uh, racked up a ton of accounting stats when it comes to tackles, sacks, uh, t- eleven tackles for loss, and interception. And he only had six starts last. Uh, that was in 2017. Then in 2018, when he got the full-time gig, um, 89 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, three sacks, and a forced fumble. So he's a player who I think could potentially be a little more than a special teamer, Nick just because I think the Giants saw something they liked there when it comes to just his vision, his instincts, his short area burst, um, and just with regards to where they would place him in that scheme, kind of kind of seeing him as more of what they originally thought they could have out of B.J. Goodson just in that run game, but just a different style because obviously he doesn't have that size and he's not your traditional you know take on the blocker linebacker. He's kind of more of a get-there-first type of player. So we'll see if it can work at the NFL level. Obviously, you know, from what you've seen, Nick, you think he could be more of a special teamer. And you even said, you know, you're going to have to do more work on him first to get a full review. But I am actually well, – well, well, but Dan, what's interesting, though, you kind of hit the nail on the head just to really sink it for fans. When when my buddy's saying he has a good first step, that's film speak for exactly right. what you synthesize with a good with, – with good vision and instincts and an ability to translate that into actual – measurable which they look at the 10 yard split so that's a huge point that i didn't know about and i don't think anyone really knows about and why i bring it up it's a really interesting contrast for those that study linebackers in this group some people may say like hey like what does that mean for like you know is, he, is that like a white and then i bring devin white up to mind because devin white has a very very first a very very good first or a very fast first step right. but he triggers to anything you can't even see where he's going and he ends up usually oftentimes not going to the right position Guys like this that can sync the ability to understand what's going on in front of them and have the processing speed to actually put that in action, when you couple that with the measurable that he can do it fast anyway, that's when you have a football player. And, yeah, that, I'm not, I, Dan, I really like that. That's a really cool part where it's like, yeah, can he hang when – we, when you draft someone in the fourth or fifth round, you're trying to find something he can hang his hat on. He can, if he can hang his hat on that, he can play on early downs and in a right. backup capacity. That's huge. Most guys fail in the fourth or fifth round because they can't find that so yeah no that's very very cool and i to be honest i'm I, again i don't like to get a ton of it before film but i'll definitely focus on that for sure yeah take a look at that because i think you really just hit it on that nail on the head there too like if there's just a niche role for him like we said it doesn't have to be this starting three down linebacker you know you find a niche role for him you find the downs where you can help your team in a certain way and you put him there and then when you talk about kind of the backdrop of the special teams for production at wisconsin and kind of how they project him moving forward, because I know they are excited about what he can do from that standpoint. Then you have your fallback. And then, like you said, you're not burning these picks on skill position uh, freaks. But at the same time, that actually leads me into transition very nicely to the next pick. Um, and that's Darius Slayton. And Nick, I will say this. While I do like what we just discussed with Ryan Connolly, when I'm drafting wide receivers, if I'm drafting wide receivers, and if I was a GM, Nick, I've made this clear, I'm only pretty much be drafting wide receivers in the later rounds. 
And then I'd be doing what the Patriots do, trading for veterans that you need. That's pretty much would be my strategy. Don't burn any early assets at the position. But when I'm doing it, Nick, I'm looking for talent that I think could have been A, misutilized at the collegiate level because of B, uh, basically the scheme there or the quarterback play there or how he was used within the scheme. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm betting on talent. And at a legit six foot one, because he is lengthier and taller than you would even think when you watch him on film. I've started to watch a little bit of Darius Slayton, and I've been impressed. 6'1", 190 pounds, ran a 439 official with a 40-inch vertical, which is super impressive. 135-inch broad jump, explosive. You watch him, you throw on the tape of that Purdue bowl game, and you and you see that second touchdown when he catches the screen in space and somehow finds a way to get the angle and outrun the safety, which he should have never been able to do. And you think, wow, this guy has some potential. So. I want to know, Nick, can he become that ultimate knife in the defense over the top, that vertical burner that you and I have been talking about and you've been clamoring for this offense needs since basically week one. I think I remember you saying this either week one or week two against Dallas, I believe it was, of the 2018 season. Is this a guy you think can do it? Yeah, I think he. I, it's a, he's an interesting story because – a lot of guys are going to watch the 18 tape and they're going to look at Gus Malzahn and they're going to wonder why it's not more like 2017 where they threw the ball deep a lot more um, with all the same players involved, including the quarterback. And, you know, Gus Malzahn's a great coach and they've got the reasons for what they do think for how they do things. And to be honest, it's not that different than, than Justin Herbert at Oregon and how people think he's quote unquote misused. Nevertheless, still see things within his tape and, you know, Slayton's interesting because you, you mentioned all the, the raw and the, and, the, and, the, and the raw ability is there, but the guy's a two-year starter and he's in, he's very raw, period, because his route running is very, very, very raw. Now, as a burner, to answer your question directly, yes. As a burner, can he can he be that guy for the Giants to take to, to take the top off the defenses? Yeah, um, I definitely think he can. Um, I think that his, his development would be kind of interesting to watch. It's going to be a test for Tyke Tolbert, and I'm kind of hoping that he spends as much time with Latimer as humanly possible, because uh, there is a little bit of overlap in how they do things. Um, like we said, uh, the biggest thing that Slayton's got to work on at the NFL level, even if he's just going to be a burner, is his release. Um, overall, you saw some improvement in his senior year, but his junior year, his most productive year, it's literally only deep shots. Uh, he doesn't change the pace uh, when he comes off line of scrimmage. He doesn't have a ton of skill and press coverage really kind of eats him up. And this gets into the easiest way to shortcut all this is to look at the 2018 game um, where Auburn faced Georgia. And this previews the Giants uh, position battle. And actually, I guess we're getting this a little early, but previews the Giants position battle or, or you know practice battle that we'll see this year where Slayton faced off against DeAndre Baker. And um, DeAndre Baker held him to one catch for eight yards. And of course, you just look at the stats there, looking at the tape, there's, there's a of examples for both that, it, that show both Slayton's upside and downside, as well as even two for Baker, his upside and downside. Um, so what was interesting in this game specifically to see is that Slayton showed that he can vary his release a little bit. He can give you better use of hands at the line of scrimmage. He can beat press coverage in some cases, not consistently, but a few cases. And so the potential is there, the capability is there. And people would say, okay, well, who gives a shit? Like if he's going to be a deep burner, isn't that what we want? And it's like, that's correct. But you want to be able to at least move him around the formation enough. And you don't want to have the, the defense be able to dictate to you via 
press or whatever it is or what have you, or collision after the line of scrimmage that this guy is rendered useless. So these things I think are going to be critical because even if he doesn't improve his ball catching skills, which is that is something he's got to get there too. He doesn't, he's not a ball hawk. And that's why I hope he don't know if he's got a ball hawk. And that's why I hope he spends a lot of time with Cody. You know, that he, he can, I think he can become potentially, I think his upside is Cody Latimer if he gains weight and if he, if he gets better at the, if his route running improved that much, it just has to get off past press coverage. Um, I like the pick overall, but I'm not as juiced as I thought I would be. Um, I think he's going to give Corey Coleman a run for the money. I think it's going to be interesting to see who's going to get more reps. Um, and it's going to be a good, good, good competition. Um, yeah, I, I think that, and like I said, the, the biggest points for him is can he get from zero to eight yards at a good speed because his third or fourth stride is where his speed hits really quickly. Yeah. His, it's not in his burst. It's not in his initial get off. So he's got to get that. He's got to get a runway set up. And then I think he could be dangerous. Even if he doesn't catch the ball, it's just that first zero to eight yards. I think you said it best, Nick. And while I do think that his progression within this Giants team and on this roster could take a little longer, I'm not sure he's going to compete right away because of a lot of the reasons you said he's still very raw in a lot of ways as, a, as like you said, A, initial get off the line of scrimmage, beating press coverage. Because if you're not going to be able to beat press coverage in the NFL level, he's just not going to be on the field any, any snap. I think we would both agree with that. And while all that is true, I do think that I can see what you're saying in Latimer. And again, I've only just started watching Slayton. Um, I'm still trying to work my way through all the content I do on, on a daily basis and then get myself at nights to, to watch more Giants film. And a lot of it has been focused on Daniel Jones right now. So I plan on doing some stuff there. Uh, starting either late this week or next week. But as far as Slayton, who's really the second guy I've had a chance to get to, um, I think that while I do see the Latimer comparison, I think that from what I've seen, Nick, there is more post-catch explosion. And you kind of said it best. It's not in the in the initial burst. It's kind of in more of the Evan Ingram way, that second gear that you talk about, that you've talked about in the past, and I've seen mm-hmm. with Slayton. And I think that that's what the Giants see in addition to him kind of being that knife. They also see, like, listen, our offense is just going to be all post-catch. That's what we want. That's the offense they're trying to build here, guys. They're building a run-first offense, play-action post-catch. Get rid of the ball quick. Daniel Jones is going to have to get rid of it quick to the right read and take his shots occasionally. And most of it's going to be what these guys do after the catch. And that's kind of where I got excited about Slayton, Nick. And I know there's not too many examples because, again, the production wasn't there um, at Auburn, especially in 2018 as much. So, but I do think from what I've seen there just has been there's a lot more to like post catch with him than than I originally thought. And that's really what has me excited, Nick. But obviously the Giants had three more draft picks. They had 10 draft picks in this class. It was, it was impressive. They had 12 picks and they traded a couple more and they got 10. They, and they stuck on their board, which I didn't expect them to do. I really thought they would end this draft with like eight picks, but they did. Um, and so obviously like we touched on earlier, Nick hasn't had a chance to get to these last three picks. Um, but we are going to touch on them a little bit briefly, and we'll start with Corey Ballantyne. Obviously, Ballantyne has made the news in recent days for a really, really sad, unfortunate event. Um, you know, the night of him celebrating being drafted to the Giants, him and his best friend and his teammate and his roommate, Dwayne Simmons, went to a party that literally, you know, had, had no idea, nothing to do with what was going to happen later. There was no indication. And unfortunately, this party was nearby, a couple blocks away from, you know, a bad timing, senseless act where there was gun violence and his roommate was killed. He was shot and got very lucky that he was shot in the glute um, in, a, in a position where, you know, he's already made a full recovery, at least according to what we've read recently. He's going to be at the Giants rookie mini camp this week on Friday. It starts It's a two day mini camp that'll run May 3rd through May 4th. Um, as far as his participation goes, 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect him to participate. I don't see any reason the Giants are going to rush him through this. It's a mini camp. It's not going to, you know, training camp is what they're gearing up for, for Ballantyne. But as far as the pick goes, Nick, I really like this pick because for me, I'm just a big believer when you get to this point of the draft where if you could get a guy, you know, you're at pick, what was Ballantyne? Was he 180 or was he in the two? Yeah, he was pick 180. When you're at pick 180, if you can get a guy on your board, you may have you may have a pick number in the 100 or 125 range overall. I believe it's possible they had that with Ballantyne. I mean, aside from the fact that he played at Washburn, there's really a lot to like about his pro projection. A four, he ran a 4.47 40-yard dash at 200 pounds, which is really impressive to me. 39 and a half inch vertical, 135 inch broad jump. And that's, you know, just, you know, we don't go only by that, but that's just to say, you know, here's a guy who at least has the athleticism, Nick, to translate, because that's something you definitely have to look for when you're playing at Washburn. Um, you know, it was a much smaller school, but he also had really good three cone, six, eight, two time and a short shuttle, four, one, four. So it shows he also has that quickness that you want from a cornerback, especially depending on where you're going to play him, either on the boundary or on the inside. And then we'll get to that a little bit later, but there's also been some talk of maybe him moving to safety eventually, or at some point even sooner than that, because he has had some experience playing safety at Washburn. Um, but you're also talking about a player who, I, from what I've read, he was really, really impressive at the senior bowl. And obviously the Giants are big senior bowl guys. You know, they go down there, they scout these guys, and they put a lot of weight on it, at least from what we've seen in the first two draft classes. And he came in and he competed with those top senior wide receivers, uh, you know, Debo Samuel was there, uh, McLaurin was there, Doss was there. There were some good receivers in that game. Um, and I, I don't know exactly what side of the ball they were playing on, so don't quote me. If they were on his team, my bad. But, you know, he played against some good receivers, and he held his own, and he ended up starting that game, earning the starting role based on what the coaches saw from him in practice. So I think Ballantyne, to me, was actually one of my favorite picks because it showed that the Giants are going to be okay with going with value and loading up on a position like cornerback, and now where the high, where the upside now becomes ridiculously high, in my opinion, Nick. Because listen, if they land two of these three, let's say, let's throw Beal in here too from last year's draft class. I'm calling part of this class just for this experiment. If let's say three of those those four guys hit as not necessarily elite players, but starters, they've now rebuilt the secondary. Um, with those four guys or with three of those four guys. And what that will allow them to do is have a super low overall salary cap hit at that cornerback position with talent, with youth, with the potential for growth. And this would be moving forward, you know, in 2020, 2021, the, the, which are going to be the big Daniel Jones years. I believe obviously, you know, he's going to be the starter next season. We'll see if I'm wrong about that, but I would be shocked. And that's kind of that range you want to hit with those rookie quarterbacks based on the rookie quarterback scale. But if they're not paying the cornerback position and they're not paying the safety position with peppers under contract cheap, and they're not paying the quarterback position and they're still not paying the running back position, that's when the Giants can get really, really aggressive on, you know, finding an offensive tackle next free agency or finding a big edge rusher at outside linebacker next free agency, a big guy they believe can play money back who's also really talented. You know, that's when they can start to do stuff like that. So I was a fan of the picnic. Do you have any early thoughts on the Valentine pick? No, and um, the only other thing, I was at the Senior Bowl and did not see him and missed day three. And looking at everyone else's notes, that's when the day when he shined. So, wish I was there for day three. Uh, like you said, that good on good is a big deal for the seniors and many teams. Well, it has to do more with the drills than it does the game. Uh, that's pretty cool. Wish I was there. Wish I had more to say. <laughs> not going to lie. Well, that's the good thing, Nick. We still have 
a really, really long offseason to go before we roll into training camp. So we're going to have time to take a look at all these guys. We're going to have a lot more on these players as we move forward. But as we move on to their next draft pick, the seventh round draft pick, bit bit of a surprise to a lot of people that this was the first time they drafted a player in his position, but they finally went to the offensive line and drafted George Asafo Ajay, uh, Nick. And this is a player who I have a little inside insight, insight into just because uh, I'm really good friends with Josh Edwards, who covers the Cleveland Browns for 24-7 sports, but he also covers Kentucky football, kind of does like a dual job. And the minute he was drafted, he told me, he's gonna, I'm going to like this guy. Now, according to Josh, in his opinion, he's going to be much better suited for the inside interior offensive line at guard at the NFL level. I don't think that's what the Giants view, view him as, because just based on Gettleman's comments, it seems like they view him as a tackle. Gettleman said they had a fifth-round grade on him. They got him in the seventh. Um and they believe he could play tackle at the NFL level. We'll see. That remains to be seen. But he, there are there are examples of him for sure holding his own and looking the part at the NFL level. Um, you know, he's got base. I think he's a, he's one of those power players that you know. And you know, when people when the Giants pass Nick on Andre Dillard at number seventeen overall, take Dexter Lawrence. A lot of people were surprised at that decision. And you know, you could throw Cody Ford into the mix there, I guess, or Dalton Reisner if you believe that he was there. And obviously Juwan Taylor dropped because of some medical concerns. But I think what the Giants really indicated to me by passing on Dillard, who to me was the best offensive tackle at that point, and in my opinion, the best player overall in the draft at that point, was that they don't they don't see a fit for him right now at that right tackle position. And then it's just too much of a long time. You're using the 17th overall pick on a player like Dillard. He has to play right away. And what they want, I think, is a player like Asafo Ajay at that right tackle position, more of the old Kareem McKenzie anchor for this run-based offense that's going to go through Barkley. Um, but I'm not so sure he's going to get there. Like I said, I've been told by the Kentucky kid that that um, he's better suited for the interior offensive line. Time will tell. I think I'll have a chance to compete at tackle right away. But is there anything you've picked up on Asafo Ajay since you started uh, reading into him and looking into the process that's intrigued you, Nick? The, the best thing, the base there are one of the bigger things in the old school sense of, of will he kick down and move down inside is is definitely the arm length. Now, the measurables are not always the story. He does have shorter arms. That's right. why guys are saying he's going to move in. The question is, how does he use those arms? You know, um, basically, Andre Dillard's arms are the same size, if not bigger, than Jonah Williams. I believe that's what everyone's been saying, and I cannot call if that's exactly true, but I'm pretty sure it is true. Uh, so it's how you use the arms and how they engage. And one thing that I do, I think that's not really his thing um, from what the little that I've read on him in terms of his use of hands. And so it kind of gets into is a play style that's a little closer to what I'm just envisioning, um, uh, what Will Hernandez does, where Hernandez's first strike and his ability to kind of get to someone is not really there. Once you get inside on Hernandez or he gets inside on you, he, you're dead. Um, so I that's the, his style is going to be a little closer. Yeah, I do see him coming down more. Uh, but yeah, definitely try out for the position. And I, the one thing I think he kind of liked is that, you know, he, he is a little bit of a sense. Um, he's only 303 pounds too, right? So, um, you know, I, I, my initial takeaways are it's kind of like he would be right on the fence for guard or tackle and we'll see what the tape shows. Um, and in general, I think that's kind of it. I think that, yeah, you get, you get that type of, if you have a guy in the fifth, if you have a guy that you grade as, as a fifth rounder and you get him where you get him, you know, I think, I think you kind of pull that trigger just and see if you can make the team. Yeah, and even if they pull that trigger knowing maybe he'll be an interior guard for them later on, it still could be a good value pick because, again, you know, they have Pulley who's going to kind of operate as that backup center and maybe he can slide in at guard if they need him to, but they're going to need competition. Like we've always talked about, Nick, 
on the interior offensive line, on anywhere on the offensive line during the entire, you know, every season, every year, keep on doing it. Um, last round pick, Chris Slayton out of Syracuse. I can't say I know too much about him. He's six foot four, three hundred. From what I've read, he's basically what you would consider the picturesque three technique. I guess is the best way to describe it. Not saying he's the perfect three technique in this draft class or anything like that, but he—that's his position. That's his role. And so maybe the Giants, you know, are just looking for a guy who can be a gap shooter at that position. Obviously, they they found something with Dexter Lawrence that they like, but. They're very different prospects, I believe, Slayton and Lawrence, obviously based on their size, their frame. And production-wise, nothing too special from him out of Syracuse, but he did start a lot of games. And in 2018, he started all 13. He had 24 tackles, eight for loss, three and a half sacks, a forced fumble. So it's not, you know, nothing to, you know, call off at there. But I think for me, Nick, just based on where this roster is, you know, they signed um, – they, they drafted RJ McIntosh last year, and I think he'll definitely have a chance to compete. And I think they probably had a higher grade on McIntosh than they do on Slayton, Nick. And then they also brought in, um, I'm blanking on his name now, from the Cardinals, the the interior defensive lineman. They signed um, an old Betcher guy from 2017. I'm, I'm sorry I'm blanking on his name, guys. But, Nick, do you remember who I'm talking about who they signed? Uh, Olsen Pierre, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So they brought him in. He's going to compete. They didn't just sign him for nothing. There's a lot of competition on the defensive line and probably limited spots because they're going to have to keep a lot more linebackers the way they run this defense too. So I think he's more of a camp body and more of somebody who I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't make the roster, quite honestly. But is there anything you've seen from the little you've looked into him so far, Nick? No, no, not additionally. I think that's kind of the right way to look at it is, is, you know, obviously Gettleman's bias toward he likes to get on the interior line and and you get him in competition and you see – and you see if they can you see how it, how it shapes up. And it's tough because, you know, a lot of times you may have the FA that you're going to grade higher than your seventh rounder, but the pick gets picked because of certain reasons, whether it's, you know, because the scout really wants to make a bet on him or whatever it is. So, you know, I, I'm not I'm not really sure. I just think that, you know, you, the, the more competitive guys they can get at each, at each position group, that's huge to turn the entire team around for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, let's move on, Nick, to some – before we get to everybody's questions today, let's look at just kind of – I wanted to break down a little general review of this draft and just some maybe some questions that we might have looking back. So for me, Nick, I think the biggest question I'd have out of this draft class is looking back, I, I wonder if there might be – they might look back at this class, Nick, and regret not getting one of those talented top-tier offensive tackles. I know after the draft, Dave Gettleman said, listen – the value at the offensive tackle position for us on our board was wiped out after the fourth round. And I don't blame him. I mean, I thought it was completely wiped out as well by that point. And I wasn't surprised when they stopped with those late round picks when they didn't use it there. But at the same time, they did have an opportunity to get two players I thought were really, you know, good values at the time they were drafted um, by two really good drafting teams. Bobby Evans, guy I talked about on this podcast before, that I talked about on Twitter. The guy at Oklahoma, opposite of Cody Ford, I thought he was a really good player, but he could have been a nice find for the Giants. He went to the the, the Rams, I believe it was, a few picks after the X-Man, um, but just before Julian Love. And then you had Yadi could just go to the go to the Patriots. Both these guys, Evans and Kajus, were were supplement or I'm sorry, compensatory third round draft picks right after the Giants uh, picked the X Men with that with that Browns pick, and I don't think that they made a wrong decision getting the X Men because you like him, Nick. I like him. There's a lot of people who like him. I bet in that Giants building, um, and I think they needed him. But I think that this was a spot in the draft, a little bit of a sweet spot, Nick, where I think they could have packaged some of those later picks. You know, maybe you don't end up with a Ryan Connolly, maybe you don't end up with the Darius Slayton. But you do end up then by trading up into that spot, into one of those spots before the Patriots or the Rams, 
with one of these offensive tackles that you can feel a little bit more confident about than a sophomore guy. Because now you look back, Nick, at these last two drafts, Gettleman's first two draft classes. And while I am impressed, you know, that he has shown that he wants to improve this offensive line via at least overall, because, you know, he did bring in Kevin Zeitler via trade. Love that move. He did sign Nate Solder, a player who I'm much higher on than, you know, Giants fans on Twitter. I thought that was a good move. I think it's really hard to find left tackle. And he does a good job there. Um, but now it's two draft classes, Nick, and they've only used the second and the seventh round draft pick on the offensive line. So I, I wonder, looking back, because I did really like the top of this class at the offensive tackle position, I thought it went about, you know, 10 deep, 10, 10, 12 picks deep, 10, 12 prospects deep, if that'll be a mistake. Where do you stand on that, Nick? On the tackles or just with the two, with the question? With, I guess you can answer both parts on the tackles for this class and then just in general, just drafting two linemen in, with a sick second and seventh round pick in two draft classes. Yeah, I, 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 um, I didn't study the tackles that closely this, this, this year. So I can, I, it's hard to say if they, if they, if they missed on values from my perspective, but knowing me, I'm like way too in depth versus just a broad range of what they should be doing. In general, I, in general, I think that the whole question around right tackle goes into whether or not you're going to take an approach of signing guys in free agency, come to the draft, you don't – and you don't get – more. You don't get, I know Gilman doesn't care about the questions, but you don't feel the need to draft a right tackle because I think it is like kind of the most important position on the defensive line in a lot of ways just because of the, the amount of guys that line up on that side in terms of pass rushers in the division. And then as yep. well, because if you're going to if you're gonna have Eli Manning – he he needs his front side, his right side to be protected. He does not deal well with that pressure. He's not a quarterback that's going to take care of that for you and and move, basically come off his spot. So I think it's paramount, but I think it more is a free agency question than it is a draft. I I just it's, it's the way I see the draft in terms of how you of how you want to take talent. Um. So yeah, I, I in two years I think that yeah they're not that they would do, that they would sign it for agent and guy. So I am a little surprised. Um, my bigger questions, though, on the offensive side, um, it just, I just have two, and it's really interesting or really weird. People are going to go, why would you think this way? But um, the Giants obviously want to run a balanced attack. That's what Pat Shermer wants to run a lot. He wants to run pretty much as much as he's passing, at least so close to that. This, the, 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 uh, and the quant guys can go crazy over that statement. But what's interesting, I don't think the running back depth is – is there yet? I think Saquon is really good, and I think year over year, absolutely, they improve their running back position by drafting arguably the best player in that draft. But I think it's funny because God forbid he gets injured, or he is not on the field. I don't think they have guys that can. They don't have a plethora of guys that can come right in and help support the offense in in that case. And that's not really saying anything. But I, I think if you're going to value him as high as you're going to value a quarterback in that class, you got to have a guy that can at least play like, not like, give you a little more support. So I'm surprised they didn't go after someone more on the UDFA or on the on the running back side late in the in late late in the draft because there were a ton of running backs. I mean, there were so many running backs it was out of control. Uh, so I was a little surprised there, and just not surprised just because of that one individual thing. Because like we said, running backs are devalued this time, this you know, in this in this day and age. But more so, what's their if. Is is running the ball really a foundational part of their offense? I guess is really my question, and I don't I don't I know it is because that's what the tape says, but I don't know if it is going forward because you look at that RB three spot, there's not really one there. On the defensive side, just really quick, a little surprised, just like you were, that they didn't package some, they didn't put together a package to stay in the to get more picks in the fourth or third round. Um, watching the Notre Dame tape, the guy who keeps on jumping out at me is Drew Tranquil, and then you listen to the guy get interviewed, it's like 
I mean, he is a leader of men. And I'm just surprised because that would have been someone who is kind of that in-between hybrid. He's, he's overlooked in a lot of ways, but also he can cover tight ends a little bit. And this gets in a whole conversation about their defensive backs. Their defensive backfield has completely changed. And they have a new, they have two new coaches. They lost their captain. They lost the one guy besides the captain who lied, who could line the defensive up, defensive backfield up in, in Curtis Riley. And they basically have two undrafted free agents as basically the main guys, and Janoris Jenkins. So I'm surprised they didn't go for more of a leadership role for both the linebacker position slash defensive backfield hybrid going forward. That was a, a weird thing for me. And I think Tranquil would have been the guy. Yeah, I mean, obviously you only have so many picks, but you do bring up some great points there, Nick, that I wanted to touch on before we get dive down to that. And obviously I was actually thinking they would be interested in Coney, the other linebacker there went undrafted, I believe, just two poor testing times. I don't think that NFL scouts and general managers believe he'll be able to translate to the NFL level. But as far as in the offensive side of the ball with the running back position, I think you make a good point, Nick, because this will be in a run-first offense. And I, and I think we talked somewhat about, you know, the right tackle position and, and how it applies to Eli Manning. But for me, this is Daniel Jones's offense now. I know Eli Manning is the starter for this season, but unless the Giants go on an unexpected playoff run, he's not going to finish the season as the starter, and he won't be back for 2020. So I'm really looking at this offense and how it could operate with Jones. And I know, Nick, you've done a lot on Jones. I've done a lot on Jones. I think the offense is going to change the way it looks with Jones because of his ability to move uh, outside of the pocket and, and his running ability. It's just overall athleticism. I think it's going to change the way that they use – the way they run this offense. So that's still to be seen. But at the running back position, you make a good point because you look at the other foundational run-first teams, Nick, in the NFL. How about the Cowboys? How about the Rams? Well, what did they do? They have their Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott and Todd Gurley, and yet they still used a premium mid-round pick at the running back position. And even a team like the Buffalo Bills, who also, you know, part of it is because LeSean McCoy is getting older, but part of it is that they're a foundational – they want to be a foundation run-based team, and they use a mid-round pick on a running back as well. And, and mid-round at this point for the running back is basically a hurly round. I mean, you consider how late running backs go, like especially in this draft class, it's, it was one of the, you know, these were one of the first few draft running backs that came off the board, and they went on a run, and, and they went on a running back run in that part of the draft, that portion of the draft, because teams were like, all right, we don't want to lose these talent, we don't want to lose out on these guys, we were waiting down for the first domino to fall, and then it finally did. So it is a good point you bring up. I'm gonna throw this out there, Nick, and I know I could get torched for this. But I was one of the biggest Paul Perkins truthers in the history of the world uh, heading into that 2017 season before he got injured. Um, still to this day, he's a top 10, top 15 all-time and fourth missed tackles per touch according to Pro Football Focus, which to me is literally my favorite um, one of their advanced statistics as far as translating to the next level. You look at the top guys at that every year, and that's where you find your breakouts at the running back. You can force the defense to miss. It's, it was a combination of force missed tackles and yards after contact. When you have those two things rolling for you at the running back position, I believe – now, there are obviously a lot of traits that go into your ability to do that that I'm not going to break down and try to break down and discuss right now. But when you can do those two things, I think you're talented. So he is still on the roster, Nick. He was injured all of last season. Um, and I wouldn't be totally surprised if he made a little bit of a push to, to make this roster in training camp. It wouldn't shock me. It will shock a lot of people when they see that first article or they see the first you know positive buzz that comes out for Paul Perkins. People are going to be surprised. They've already turned the page on him, but keep an eye on him uh, moving forward because I do think he could be an interesting part of this team and make the roster at a at a camp. But moving on for me, the biggest question on the other side of the ball because I know we touched on both sides is: Did the Giants do enough to improve their pass rush in this draft class? I think they're mm -hmm. going to look for a different way, Nick, to get that pass rush in James Betcher's team. And I think they believe that you know 
a lot of the reason they weren't able to generate pressure last year is because they didn't trust BW Webb in coverage. They didn't trust Grant Haley in coverage uh, when they were in sub package. They didn't trust these guys out there on an island uh, to do, you know, to hold up. And can you blame them? I mean, I can't blame them for not trusting BW Webb on an island. But now they're trying something new. They have DeAndre Baker on an island. They have George Jenkins on an island. They might have Julian Love, Sam Beal on an island, and they might have improved pass coverage there with a guy like Dexter Lawrence in the middle and the X-Man on some packages. I think they did enough to improve the pass rush, Nick. I know that's a controversial opinion based on, you know, a lot of people just fire away at the Dexter Lawrence pick, just, you know, assuming he's Damon Harrison, even though they didn't, they don't profile at all athletically the same. What do you think, Nick? Do you think that they didn't do enough in this specific class to address the pass rush? Great question. I'm on the fence to your excellent point though let's dive into one aspect concrete example that they improved or concrete aspect of their of their of their past that they didn't prove if you fire up not just the giant sacks because as to dan's point sacks aren't really everything try to fire up what were if you can the pressures and the hurries right. most of the pressures and the hurries came off of either good motor from their defensive line basically because of what you would call a coverage sack or a coverage pressure or uh, basically, individuals beating, um, you know, like you know when uh, when BJ Hill went on a couple of runs against interior um, offensive linemen and beats this guy one on one. The Giants, though, however, they stunned it a lot. And to be frank, after watching like fifty snaps of, of like half of their their stunts, they were they were almost terrible at it. Dexter Lawrence brings a different element there to their TE stunts because he can line up in that tech or position and then really threaten the tackle with both his length and his power to basically be the driver in a PE stunt. So what happens in the TE stunt is the tackle goes first, he's the driver, and then the end is the looper. Now, on top of that, let's just keep rolling here. They just drafted a guy who Dan mentioned had good speed, but also he doesn't have uh, – the X-Men doesn't have great first – he doesn't have a great first step, but he's got good counter moves, and one of his counter moves is with speed. I think, even though it's not in his college tape, I think his traits show that he would be a pretty good looper as an end. So if you throw the X-Man and you throw Lawrence together on the same side, preferably the left side for me of the defense, you have a different element than you had last year. If you look at the tape, last year was mostly Hill and Carter. Hill is very good as a pass rusher, but he's not the best driver in stunts. He doesn't occupy space as well. He's not – I mean, it's not just occupy space like he's a – blunt object it's more like he has the length to get in the dudes in the tackle's face and carter he's a little bit more of a boundary rusher he's more of a guy that's going to win in isolation he's not not necessarily that guy that's going to be that so anyway i think that's the the part of the draft that's not being talked about that's maybe a little maybe a little in the details a little little in the weeds but i think you're going to see a big uptick there i do think that they that they're i don't know if they're going to need someone else if because as you've mentioned in, in in a few times their defense, the defensive profile, I don't. They're not going to blitz as much with man coverage behind it. Um, they're going to blitz with all, blitz with, with a lot of match coverage behind it, and a lot of simulated pressure, rushing four guys, but doing it from four different positions. That's where the hybrids apply. So I think this year is a is a test if their blitz press pressure or packages can get in dis versus actually get home, and that may be what what they live and die with, because now their secondary is. I don't to, to circle back all the way back to your answer. I think there's one element that they got much better at, but I think the rest is to be seen. And I'm excited and intrigued, not like, oh, it's to be seen because, you know, it wasn't a great draft. I think, no, it's an interesting way to do it, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. 
and you, you nailed it right on that. And you talk about, you know, the importance of, and I think what you brought up here, Nick, is an awesome niche point that I'm, you'll probably, that people who follow me on Twitter are probably going to hear from me a few more times because I loved it. Um, as far as the, ta- the, the tackle and stunts go, something the Giants weren't able to do that now they might be able to. And you talk about the importance of length from, from one of the spots there from, you know, before they had time, I don't know, Tomlinson Hill, all those different guys trying to do it. And Dexter Lawrence, as far as a length standpoint goes, Nick, is literally the yeah. perfect prospect, I think, for this for this niche role. You know what I mean? He had 88th percentile arm length, 97th percentile wingspan. He's six foot four and three fours, basically six foot five, 340 pounds. He's the perfect player, I think, for this role. And it's interesting you bring up that combo of him and the X-Man. Because maybe if that's something they see too, Nick, that little niche for their defense, it's something that we could see probably sooner than people expect in the 2019 season. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, for sure. You know, the, the measurables, the guy can jump too. That's what's crazy. It's like he's that big and he's athletic enough to time the snap. Love it. Yeah, me too. Um, moving on, we'll touch on the UDFAs when they become official, the Giants on draft free agents. There's some talk about who they've signed, who they have in tryouts. And whatnot, but we're going to do that on a further podcast when we have time to look into them more and when they become official. Um, but I will say, keep an eye on CJ Conrad, the Kentucky tight end, and only because uh, the, the man I mentioned before, Josh Edwards from Twenty Four Seven Sports. You know, he had pretty a pretty solid review for Azajo Asapo Ajay, the seventh round offensive lineman, but he had a glowing review for Conrad. And Conrad's story is really interesting. You know, he had some buzz as a potential mid round prospect, but then. He had a heart condition at the combine, I believe, or not a heart condition, I believe, but some kind of condition at the combine that kind of ruined his stock uh, and prevented him from from testing. So he kind of fell completely out of the draft picture at all, and that's why he was eventually an undrafted signing free agent. Uh, I believe that Giants actually had him for a tryout um, based on the early reporting. But, you know, Josh told me this this guy is going to make your roster. He said, watch out. This guy's going to make your roster. He can play all the different positions, the X, the Y, the move tight end, the Y tight end. And he even said that. You know, I read an interview where he even said, listen, NFL teams have told me they, they see me in all these different roles. Um, and that's, I think, exactly what the Giants look for now when they're looking for these tight end prospects. They want guys who can do a number of different things within Shermer's scheme. Um, so he's someone I keep an eye on, but obviously more to come on that later. But now that time of the show, Nick, let's get to the questions from the listeners. Um, and we're going to start here with Giants J10, who asks, "How does this secondary come together in 2019? What is the latest on Sam Beal?" Yeah, I think you got. I think you got JJ. Uh, you got Jenkins as as starting corner. I think you have um, Baker as the other starting corner. I think you got your free safety at Bethea, and you got your strong safety slash hybrid slash. They'll do some fun stuff with Jabril Peppers. Um, that's your four. I think your nickelback is going to be a massive rotation if they move. Uh, they got to get Thomas on the field for their big nickel position. I think they're going to ro- rotate in Love occasionally down the line, uh, and I think that you're going to see some. I think you're going to see you know Beal play some there, and then have Love play on the outside as well, and basically mix all that in. Um, I guess. My, you know, you look at the wild card, like, what does that say about Haley? Um, I think he's got to, I think he's got to prove it. You know, when you rewatch his tape, I think he's, he, he definitely gets the ball on the ground in terms of tackling and he's got, you know, he, he's got a lot going for him, but I think he's got to improve his play strength. He's got to get his upper body bigger. That could have changed right now. Uh, so that's super important. And I think him and uh, Chandler somewhat the same, but Chandler, I think, I, I think Chandler has a better shot of making the team or, make, or getting more snaps in, in a more solidified role. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, Nick, because 
you look at a guy like Haley, and I wouldn't bet against him. I mean, undrafted free agent, everyone told him he was too small to play, made the team, and then once he made the team, was productive. I mean, it's really impressive to me. So it's tough to bet against a guy like that or any of these guys. Chandler, another guy with an awesome story, made the team and looked pretty solid, honestly, when he was on the field for limited snaps. But it is getting crowded in the secondary. And you think, you look at, you know, Beal's going to make this roster unless the injury is just worse than we expect and he didn't recover in time. Baker's going to make this roster. Jenkins is going to make this roster. I know some people thought he might get traded. That was never going to happen. Um, just cap wise, this is going to be his last year here. Um, and it may all make sense. Love's not going to get cut. Love's not going to make the team. And I think Valentine's going to make this team too. I really do. Mm-hmm. I think, especially after what happened, I think just there's a lot of positive buzz. The Giants really want a player like him to help, you know, help bring this team along and be that guy, maybe a blue piece later down the line in the secondary. So, even from just a locker room standpoint, and I know he has, you know, people rave about him off the field. And he, you know, the things he did to, to, to make the NFL to Washburn is not easy. Um, <laughs> and get that invite to the senior bowl and then show up is even better. So it's a crowded secondary. And it'll be interesting to see where it goes there. Um, there's no latest for me on Beal. I mean, he's supposed to be fully healthy and ready to go for the start of OTAs. And he'll have to prove himself. There's competition he probably didn't expect to have in the secondary and it's not going to be easy i think a lot of it depends on how fast you know how quickly baker comes along because if baker immediately shows them what they think what they think they need to see to be that island guy he's not going to come off the field i know that I mean, he was unbelievably productive at georgia back-to-back seasons in 2017 2018 even in 2016 he was really strong but not not nearly as dominant but a strong player so if they see you know they obviously drafted him because they see that the giants in addition to him obviously being a good fit based on the scheme uh, and what he played at Georgia. But if he progresses faster than expected or as fast as they expect, maybe it's going to be tough for these other guys to get snapped, to get snapped because part of them getting on the field is Baker not being on the field for, for, you know, hundred percent of the snaps. Cause you know, Janoris Jenkins is going to be on the field every snap. That's just how it goes. You know, Jabril Pepper is going to be on the field every snap. And I think in year one, Nick Anton Pate is going to be on the field almost every snap as well. He was on the field almost every snap last year for the Cardinals. So it'll be interesting to see early on, but I think competition, like like we've said before, it seems it seems like a situation where, okay, why would we not just draft X amount of offensive tackles, X amount of cornerbacks, X amount of linebackers, because that makes sense strategically roster-wise. But I think competition actually could lead to a better outcome. And me and Nick have always talked about this, that you have to kind of take that step back, that 30,000-foot view, and recognize that, you know, it's not always about just going need by need by need. And sometimes the competition and putting a lot of talent together brings out the best in, in the few individuals who will end up standing out there. Um, Johnny Rosen, Rosenstein asked, DJ briefly mentioned that he sees a future safety, uh, free safety in fourth rounder Julian Love. says, how did his tools translate from cornerback to free safety at the NFL level? Yeah, we, we touched on this a, t- a little bit, but basically um, – where I see it is the way the Giants see safeties versus maybe others. Um, most guys don't look for free safeties. They want guys that when the ball is released, they get a jump on the ball. I think that's basically like the baseline trade for a free safety. Um, to be frank, Love doesn't do that that well. He plays in off coverage a lot, and his his plant and drive and his twitch, his grades for me there are not that great. Um, however, the way the Giants see the world, because they had a starting free safety who was not in Curtis Riley, who that was not his his strong. Um, there's there there what the Giants seem to focus on based on the profile of him and a little bit of the profile of Love is a guy with high FBI, 
a guy who can get guys lined up and a guy who can adjust because they've got a ton of checks in this defense and they do a ton of different things in coverage. So the guy's got to be enough of a jackknife. They want to move around the formation. So I like love there. I like love coming back after, after or listeners have asked those, these good questions. I've watched two games this morning. I'm seeing him through a little different lens now. Yeah, he is a little versatile than when I, when I first looked. Um, I, the biggest thing that I would say that, that the Giants like is they like his blitz ability, and that's also what Curtis Riley's strength was. So seeing some overlap there, you could hate yeah. Curtis Riley, you could love Riley, but he was he, he was the best blitzer outside of Collins on that defensive field. So I, I, he checks those two boxes, and I think that, again, the priority is for for Betcher, I think, is that that if, if you're gonna have a free safety, he's just good enough at free safety. And if you can do those other things very, very well, then you have a winner, especially if you compliment him with a guy like Bethea, who I think is an excellent free safety, especially at his career. He still can do that for you. So it's I think you have a bit of a win here to give love, you know, 18 to 24 months to see if he can do that. Yeah, I love that, Nick. And I, and listen, a common theme I hear in your breakdowns and just looking at this team and the way it's been constructed in the secondary is versatility and the ability to have, be a jackknife, different roles on that defense. That's what they're looking for in the secondary. I believe that. And I think they've gotten that at this point. So I think, you know, love could definitely fit into that. Uh, Jason Torrance asked, do you think that Dave Gettleman had it in his mind that he had to draft a quarterback this year, last year and next year's classes are far superior. This is his opinion. Um, he says, okay, he is, he hopes he's wrong, but he feels like, Gettleman forced it. Where do you stand on that, Nick? I think I think he thought that he had to. I think everyone thinks that he – or not everyone. I think that he's going to say he's going to draft because of need, right? Or not – sorry, let me back up. He's, Gettleman has always claimed you can't force it, right? You got to let things come to you and, and that. But I think he absolutely had in his mind the way he went on visits, uh, the way he viewed the quarterback class. It was very clear that they were looking at it very, very closely. Now being the second year in a row that they have done that, I don't think they could – I think they're at the point in time, um, even though they've been seemingly that they've been giving a longer runway than most front offices and coaching combinations. I think they know that they can't, they can't, have, they couldn't have another four and eleven or four and twelve or five and eleven season and quarterback yet, and still think that jobs in the third year. Um, it's just the reality of the world. Even though the Giants are different, and they don't fire people. I get it. That's just the way it goes. You 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 kind of have to want to pull the trigger. And I think that there were two. You know, I think they I think they saw options here that they liked and they obviously saw one that they really, really liked. Um so I definitely think that they that, that was their mindset. It was it was to get something done here. I think the other side of it too, again, I think the more time people spend away thinking maybe about the Giants offense and Eli Manning, the more they realize it's like it's absolutely amazing that he's still playing. Forget if he's playing well, badly, good or not. It's just he's that old. And so it's just it's just the way it goes. The only two other guys that have done this at a at a high level are arguably two of the best quarterbacks of all time. So I, I think that th that reality sets in and you can't just ignore it. And especially, especially, like I said, pre-draft, if you're not going to sign anyone in free agent, as a free agent, you have to, you have to improve, improve your quarterback room. You do, year over year, you do. It's just the way it works. And um, whether that would be a starter or not, then that's what the Giants did. Yeah, I agree, I agree with Nick for the most part here, Jason. I think that, listen, Gettleman, and no one's given him credit for this before. I mean, I've maybe seen it mentioned once, but I, I wrote about this on Sunday, and I'll give him credit for it again. I give him credit for, you know, having this conviction on Jones and making the pick because he knows at this point that he is, his job security is tied to Daniel Jones and his development because yeah. if he had kicked the can down the road to 2020, which he could have done, he could have easily sold the fan base 
on drafting Josh Allen and ro- rolling forward, you know, at 17, maybe they trade back, maybe they draft Cody Ford, who knows what they do there. And it, it changes a little bit or they draft, or even if they draft Lawrence there and then they draft Kajust or Bobby Evans instead of the X-Men and X-Men and Rouse men and round three and round three. They could have sold the fan base on that easily, kicked the can down the road, and that would have bought him a full extra year of job security because that's just how it is. His job, his clock gets started the minute they draft a quarterback. And so I give him credit for that, and I don't think he that in his mind – I think, okay, I think in his mind he did feel like he had to get a quarterback this year, but I don't hate him for that because I thought he should have got a quarterback last year, and I thought he should have got a quarterback this year as well. I may not agree with the quarterback he did decide on, but I wasn't, and as you guys know from listening to this podcast, I wasn't really sold on any quarterback in this class except for Kyler Murray. And as I've said before, and I'll say again, I think that quarterbacks are the hardest position to to predict, hardest position to predict translation. And I think there's a lot of times a lot of us are wrong. So I don't think I can make, I would not be, you know, I won't make any definitive state. You know, if you, if you tell me, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example, like that makes sense. And others. okay, fine. If you tell me, X-Men should have been drafted ahead of Josh Allen. Well, I can tell you that there with confidence that I think that's a bad opinion. But if you tell me anything on the quarterbacks, I really just don't know if I could I could say with definitive um, with a definitive understanding that there's a right or wrong at that position as far as evaluation goes on who's good and who's bad. And I don't know where you stand on that, Nick, but we can talk about that off air. But I think that's really a fair point at the quarterback position. I think it's very hard to, to, to confidently predict. Now, having said all that, why do I think it was so important to him to draft a quarterback this year or last year? It's because you have to get the ball rolling. We've talked about this before on the last pod, on multiple podcasts throughout the year. The Giants need to upgrade that quarterback position if they want to upgrade the ceiling of this team. It's as simple as that. I mean, you can disagree with me, and that's totally fair, but I don't think that Eli Manning has a Super Bowl ceiling left in it. Some people will still tell you to this day, that the Giants could win a Super Bowl with Eli Manning. I'm not so sure. I, I mean, I'm sure I'm not there anymore. So you get the process started a little bit earlier instead of waiting for 2020. And then at the same time, you give you give the chance of hitting on that court or that, that that rookie quarterback on his rookie deal while Saquon Barkley is still on his rookie deal. And while you have, you know, 10, what is it, 10 plus 5, 15 draft picks total from the last two classes who will be on their rookie deals, a lot of UDFAs who made the team last year who are expected to come over this year. So you have that young core to go along with that rookie quarterback, or I'm sorry, with that quarterback on a rookie deal. And that's really the plan. And I think it's been proven to work at the NFL level. Now, obviously it all comes down to if Daniel Jones can translate to the next level and be the quarterback who you need him to be on that rookie deal. But I think from that standpoint, he didn't force it. He found the guy he loved and he understood that, you know, you need it. And you know, he understood that you needed to take one. So, if you ask me if I think that Dave Gettleman, in all seriousness, Nick, believes what he said, that he had Daniel Jones rated from a value standpoint and the same as Josh Brown, uh, Allen on his board, I don't think so. I just don't think so. I know some of you get – I've seen some of you get mad at me, by the way, on Twitter for this, for not taking Gettleman at his word. I'm sorry. I'm not the type of person. I'm not going to come on here. If you want to hear that from somebody else, you can find it on Giants Twitter. Trust me. There's a lot of people – who will, who will be positive only about this team. But I, I don't believe coach speak, and I don't believe a GM speak. I just don't. I don't take it at face value. I think it's there for a reason. So if you ask me um, if, he, if it was a value pick, I'm going to tell you no. But I do think that it is okay to stretch a little bit for need at quarterback because it's such an important position, and it was so important for this franchise. Uh, moving on, though, Andrew Jones asked, if Daniel Jones turns out to be a Hall of Famer, does 
Dave Gettleman deserve credit, Nick, or was he just lucky? <laughs> uh, number one, he definitely deserves credit. Number two, where this message, where this question, I think, is kind of coming from is, you know, if he had talked about the ball elements that he liked about Jones, it may be a little clearer. Instead, you don't really have any window into that process. I can give you what my analysis is, what I think they liked in him, what they value higher than other teams. And and that's fine, right? But he absolutely will get that. We'll get tied to that. Um, I think the one thing – first of all, he obviously will get credit. But I think the one thing that is just lost a little bit in the sauce for all this is that these players are not static chess pieces. And the, 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 the key is projection and going forward. And part of that projection, which is really interesting when you pick the player, is you have an influence over his um, development which is not the case if you want to like equate it to stock picking or any other like elements where you're just basically a passive person taking the ride on this random walk, you know? So from the Jones side of it, this, this speaks not only quite highly to where they think Jones is now, this, this speaks insanely highly to where they think they can develop guys, how they think they can help them get better. Now that you, it's hard to, to debate that because that's their belief and, and and the proof will be in the pudding. If those individual traits change, that's what guys, Okay. results necessarily we wait some of that but more so do you are we going to see improvements to stuff that you know guys like me have identified and and i think you can and i think it's gonna be a great study in that to be totally frank i'm very excited to see like how he does that he being Shermer and shula and, and everyone else who's gonna be involved in this is private coaches all types of guys so i think that's a part of it too and and that's what gettleman's buying into and he, and he's and he's putting his chips on the table that way so it doesn't necessarily mean like you know if I've been asked a question a little bit too, just to kind of go another way. It's like, you know, if, if all the other players that could have, they could have drafted, they end up better than Jones. Does that mean Jones is a bad pick? It's like, honestly, I don't think you can view it that way. The decision they made is the decision they made because what they know at that point in time, that's what you evaluate. And then you see if your projection gets there. If you miss on the projection, then it's a bad decision. Not if the guys that you miss become great because once they're picked on other teams, they become different players. They evaluate. Yeah. Guys get evaluated every year. So it's not, not that it's just like, hey, it, you know, if, is it solely because of who he is now? So that's what I'm psyched to see. I don't know if he'll get there. I don't think anyone really knows. Um, and I'm, and it'll, be, it'll be a good a good thing to follow. Yeah, I mean, listen, Andrew, if he if he's right about Jones, I don't think it's luck at all. That's just my personal opinion. I think that the Giants are prioritizing different things at the quarterback position than you know the majority of people who evaluated this class, the majority of people who I respect who evaluated this class, um, myself, Nick, even people like us who evaluated this quarterback class, they're looking for different things. Like Nick said, they're looking for different things that from a physical standpoint, from a trade standpoint, for sure, that they believe can develop in Shermer's specific offensive scheme. That is no doubt. That's without a doubt. Nick brought that up and that's for sure. But it's also meant, it's also the mental stuff. And I believe that they view, and it will be remain to be seen if this was a good thing to weigh so, so heavily, but they view his character, his leadership, um, his ability to take criticism and, and, and throw an interception and come back right out there. And most importantly, which hasn't been talked about enough, his toughness. I've watching a lot of Daniel Jones lately. He, you can say a lot about him. You can't say he's not tough. He's the tough. I think he's the toughest quarterback I've watched in this draft press. I really do. I haven't seen a quarterback hit as much as him right before he throws the football uh, as Daniel Jones. I haven't seen a quarterback do what he does, especially early in his tape. Like you look at the 2016, 2017, which I started to look a little bit more into Nick. He's just running into guys to get first downs when he takes off. And he doesn't give a – he doesn't care. Mm -hmm. He's a tough guy. And when he runs the zone read, and he ran it a lot more earlier, 
he's just going for it. He's not, you know, he's not worried about it. So they like that toughness in him. And they like a lot of the little things that, you know, have actually impressed me a little bit more when I've looked at Nick. I, I went back and I watched Jones, from the, a game from Jones from the 2016 season. Uh, his first season tr- uh, as a redshirt freshman, first season earned, where you're in the starting role. And he had to go into South Bend to Notre Dame, a team that, you know, one year or another doesn't really matter where they're ranked, in my opinion, because they play such a cupcake schedule, in my opinion, that it's just like they go undefeated, they're re- they, get that, they get into the playoff or something like that. But no matter what you say about Notre Dame on a season-to-season basis, they're getting really good recruits year after year after year. They have really good coaching. They have a really good infrastructure, and they have a lot of talent. So they have a lot of talent that's going to be on the field every game. And that 2016 Duke team was not talented at all. It was a terrible team. And he went into South Bend, a really tough place to play on the road, and he single-handedly won that game. I watched that whole game. He is the reason Duke won that game. There is no other reason. He ran for over 100. I'm pretty sure he ran for over 100, or maybe uh, I might be misreporting that, but he he won that game with individual plays, and he had a and he had a fourth quarter game winning drive as well to add into that. So it's those little things that that really are important for the Giants. And you know that could be considered subjective by some teams. You know, okay, he has a he's a big win here. What about this guy who has a big win there? You know, Dwayne Haskins goes into Michigan or goes in the Big Ten championship, wins the game. You know, wins the Rose Bowl, those type of things. So I believe that can be subjective, but I believe that that is valued really highly by Gettleman and the staff. And if it works. And if those things ended up being the difference in Jones being becoming a player that no one really saw on film, or not no one, but most people evaluated to be more of a mid-round guy on film, then yeah, he deserves credit for that, uh, at least according to me. The other, the other side of it too, just to enhance Dan's point a little bit here, and I'm seeing a little bit of the theme as I run through these guys, and literally we're doing this on the podcast. We don't really rehearse much of this beforehand. Daniel Jones, if you re, if you listen to the 360 uh, series done by Daniel Jeremiah and the guys at and Bookie Brooks. Um, Daniel Jones set his mind to go to Duke, wanted to go to Duke because of Cutcliffe, was recruited by very few people, and to be honest, wouldn't have been an apt here if his high school coach hadn't called basically Cutcliffe and said, please look at him again. No one's recruiting him, and Cutcliffe said, please just don't call anyone else, and literally went there like within three days. So Jones is a guy who set his mind to something. He's incredibly competitive to it, and basically he could have been a basketball player, I believe, at the end basketball um he chose this path you go down the line dexter lawrence you hear all those guys at clemson talk they talked about being a team they talked about being together they table devil's human built a family down there that's who dexter lawrence is go down the line go down to love love is a really interesting story he's an indiana kid all he wanted to do was play at notre dame he committed on the phone to notre dame when they initially made the offer it was like he didn't want to go anywhere else it was it was notre dame or bust i think they identified that then you look at ox Ox is an engineering guy. He's an engineering major. He gets all these offers in, within the Virginia, North, North Carolina area. All the side, ODU for engineering. And literally, ODU is, a, I mean, like I said, he's the first player drafted from you, right? They're a 10-year-old program in football. All I'm seeing, I'm seeing yep. a senior. They're guys, when they set their minds at things, they follow through. I do think that's a big part of it. Psych evals that go in spend a shit ton of time time at the senior bowl and combine going through so yeah whether we disagree or agree it's not always just the tape i would say that's especially true of the quarterback position um and and yeah i i do see a little bit of a theme there and i think that if you and again just not just to keep on pumping it but if people listen to the 360 series on they will have a little different opinion of him he's not that similar to eli manning in terms of his mannerisms and in terms of his i will say this in terms of his competitiveness and being kind of an underdog for sure yeah, and I do think that you know, there's no reason, real benefit for me or Nick to bump this, but 
uh, so I'm not going to go too crazy about it, but make sure you do yourself a favor and listen to the uh, Daniel Jones 360 series on the, it's on the move the six podcast with Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah. It's an unbelievable point. It's about an hour and 10 minutes long. I listened to it the other day. It, it, it touches on his old coaches, his family. You get a feel for how his sisters and his parents feel about him. Some of the things that he went through growing up. And I would agree with Nick. He's not as similar to Eli Manning as people are making out to be. I think he has a little bit more competitive fire. It's not competitive fire. Eli Manning's a super competitive player. He just doesn't show it. But I think he has a little more – and it's not rah-rah because that, that's not Jones. That's not Manning. But I just think that he has a little more overall athleticism, less coached um, – I guess not coached athleticism, but – I think he's just overall more of an athlete than Elon. I think it'll show and in his competitive nature as well. I think it'll show up. So we'll see there. Um, Adam Jones asks, he's got a few questions actually, and we'll wrap the show up with these. His first one is out of all the DBs who were drafted, can you see the giants trying out uh, any at free safety in any of the camps? So actually, you know, we'll pass on this one, Adam, just because we've touched on this a bunch so far in this podcast. A lot of people are interested in this, Um, but he asked another one and he says, what do you think is the ceiling for big George uh, on the offensive line? Big George. Who's that? <laughs> All right, George Asafa with a guy. So he was nicknamed Big George at Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how much work I did on him. I had no idea who he was. Yeah. Um, He's, he was a massive They gave him that nickname. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, I'll, I'm not going to punt on this one. I will come back with an answer, but I don't yeah. have the answer now, and I will not bullshit you. <laughs> that's what I said. We got to got to look into it. Um, as far as from what I've heard, like I said, I talked a lot, a little bit about him earlier. Um, from talking to, with my uh, Kentucky guy at 24-7 sports. Sees him as more of an offensive guard fit, but he says he wouldn't bet against him uh, based on some of the things he's done at the collegiate level and who the person he is. So last question for today, Nick, and it's going to be a different, a little bit of a different one, shifting focus away from the draft. Adam also wants to know, do you see Shane Ray, free agent Shane Ray, as a potential fit for Betcher's specific scheme? Have you taken a look at him at all, Nick? No, I haven't, but let's just do a little live scouting. I'm um, Hold on one second. Uh, no, I haven't, but I know he's an athletic, his athleticism strong, uh, but I don't, I can look into him and I didn't realize he was in the mix. Yeah. Um, so, I the guys that's kind of been rumored somewhat to potentially be in the mix for the Giants, you know, if they're going to sign one extra linebacker to compete here on the outside, and he's been mentioned, there's a few others who have kind of been in, he's kind of one of the more ups, higher upside guys, former top round pick. You know, just coming off his rookie deal, so he's still young. Showed a lot um, at the SEC level, and you know when he was coming into the NFL, but you know hasn't exactly lived up to the hype. There's concern. Some people think it's because he played out of scheme in Denver. So we'll get back to you on that one as, too, as well, too, Adam, because you know we'll see what happens there. I wouldn't be so sure the Giants are going to bring in another big time outside linebacker here uh, after drafting Ackerman. I think that they kind of want to keep that rotation a little smaller there. Cause they do also remember, they also view Kareem Martin as that outside in that outside linebacker role as somebody who can set the edge in the run game. And they obviously have a, a, a good feeling about having him on the field in general, cause he was on the field a lot for them and he's under contract for a pretty happy sum. So they have kind of four guys already in place there. If you look at it like that, yeah. Martin, um, X-Men and then Lorenzo Carter. So adding a fifth guy there, it does, especially a big name like Ray, you know, he's not going to sign a one-year prove-it to not play. He's going to sign a one-year prove-it with – he's only going to sign with the Giants so they can guarantee him a specific role on the defense um, and a high snap count. And do the Giants have a high snap count right now to hand out an outside linebacker? I'm not so sure. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see. But 
but yeah, but it's an interesting question because he's definitely the most talented and kind of high upside based on the fact that, you know, he's still coming off that rookie deal and was a former top pick uh, on the free agent market. But on that note, guys, we're going to sign off for today. Um, stick with us. We're going to be breaking down Giants football throughout the offseason. We're going to have a deeper look at the rest of these guys that we haven't touched on in depth film-wise, the back end of this class, the undrafted free agents, mini camp talk. And I think at some point, I talked about the Nick off air, we're going to try to do just a breakdown of the overall roster construction and where we see strengths and weaknesses on this team as they head into camp and as they prepare moving forward. As always, guys, if you do enjoy the podcast, please do your best to help us grow this. Uh, honestly, it's up to you guys, too, to help us out here. And I would love if you guys would step in for us because it, it would make our jobs a lot easier. The best way to do that is just simple. Just subscribe on iTunes, download each podcast on iTunes, which they judge on. And give us a rating there. And then just spread the word to your friends if you like it. Because the more the more listeners we get and the bigger we grow this thing, the more resources and tools we'll have to do more interesting stuff on this podcast. As always, if you want to follow along with us on Twitter and see some of our work, you can follow me at Dan Schneier NFL on Twitter. That's D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R NFL. Obviously, you know, I'm pretty active on there, so I will get to any questions there that I missed today. You can follow my work as well on the CBS Sports app. Uh, hit that on your phone. Click on the Giants as your big team or just on 247sports.com backslash New York Giants where all my work will go up. Nick, where can we find your work and tell us where you can find me on Twitter? Uh, Twitter Twitter handle tmanic21. That's where I'm posting most of my things from threads for everything we talked about, some film evidence for what we talked about this podcast and really basically everything going forward. Yep. All right, guys. On that note, we'll talk to you soon. Have a great day and go Giants. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.